0: to the time when we hear from God directly, from his word, from his preaching through Dave. And uh, before we read today's passage, I just want to say every dot and tittle, every small fragment of the word of God is the word of God, no matter how hard it is to read and how much it has to say to us. So let's turn together, if we will, for our first reading in Leviticus chapter 18 text which tells us very clearly of the glory and the character of god in the light of man leviticus 18. and the lord spoke to moses saying speak to the people of israel and say to them i am the lord your god you shall not do as they do in the land of egypt where you lived and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I'm bringing you you shall not walk in their statutes you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them I am the Lord your God you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules if a person does them he shall live by them I am the Lord. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I'm the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It's your father's nakedness you shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter, or of your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, brought up in your father's family, since she is your sister, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, she is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother, that is, you shall not approach his wife, she's your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter in law, she is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It's your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter. And you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They're relatives. It's depravity. And you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister's still alive. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness and you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your god i am the lord you shall not lie with a male as with a woman it's an abomination and you shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants." but you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations so that the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations The persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge. Never do them. Never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you. And never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. And our second reading today is from Ephesians, continuing in our our study there. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through 7, we'll be stopping mid-sentence, but it sure we'll make sense. So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthy filthy f- filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead, instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers of, with them may God add his blessing to the reading and the preaching of his word let's pray
1: father God we come before you now acknowledging that you are our father we thank you that we can gather this morning as your children so father in heaven we pray that you would teach us that you would give us the faith of children Lord. that we would look to you that we would desire to be like you That we would desire to obey you and to honor you and give you the respect due to your name so father please work amongst us now to change us by the power of your spirit Lord please don't allow these words to come forward to us now this morning simply as words but we pray that they come upon us in power and in the spirit that you would work that which is pleasing to you in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone, and good morning to those who are online too. It's wonderful to have you with us. We continue in the second half of the Ephesians, and in this section here, we've got what Jared did last week, four walks. We were exhorted last week, don't walk like the Gentiles. Today, we've been exhorted about walking in love. Then there's about walking in the light and walking in wisdom. And so that's why we stop where we start stop today to focus on the section that talks about walking in love. But as I grew up, I can distinctly remember and memories come back to me that whenever I was around my dad, I loved being around my dad. I love my father. And if he was working, I'd want to be out there with him and watching him and learning. And wonderfully, my dad would let me sometimes pick up the tools. If he was using a saw, I would try and use a saw and he'd show me how to use it. My dad was using a hammer, I'd try and pick a hammer or he'd have another one for me and I'd try and use a hammer like my dad. And in many ways, as you grow up, and as I think about the way I've grown up, there were times I intentionally looked to my father and was seeking to imitate him. But how many more times do children start to imitate their dad without even knowing just naturally looking to imitate their parents and in particular this morning their dads and i've noticed that imitating doesn't actually stop when you hit a certain age as i've gotten older i've actually seen that i'm imitating my father more than i realize the way i walk the way i sit the way i respond things i do I won't embarrass him by telling you, but things that I do that I thought were embarrassing, I actually do. And how naturally I've grown to become like my dad. And that's good. That's creational. God expects and longs that children or sons would grow up to imitate their loving fathers and to be like them. And one question for us this morning is, if you are a child of God, if you're a son of God, should you be trying to imitate your loving heavenly father? Should you be tr- be becoming like him? Because that would mean that if we're to think about the pattern of life for a Christian, should it be different to a pattern of life for non-Christians? Is there something about being a child of God that should be common to all his children? That should show we're of the same family. there are some churches today who seem to ignore or have no interest really in how Christian should live what the Christian life should look like they believe we're saved by grace not by works as we do but when it comes to down to how we live it's of no real significance so that there's a problem with someone calling himself a Christian well is there a problem with someone calling themselves a Christian but living like the world as typically we hear in churches today don't worry a number of years ago i was having dinner with some friends from church and we were all sitting around the table and someone started up a conversation and the little question that was posed should you expect the life of a christian to look different to the life of a non-christian and i was intrigued how this conversation progressed one person was quite emphatic they said we're all sinners The only difference is we are saved sinners if you're a Christian. So because we're saved sinners, we shouldn't expect that our life will look any different really to someone who's not saved who's a sinner because we're all sinners still. Is that biblical? In more recent times, the issue of sexual morality has become quite central, a discussion in the life of the church. And we see churches taking different positions on sexual morality can we do that is how we to live as christians and being sex our sexual morality is that up to us or does the bible actually have some quite clear instructions or this is almost a shocking thing to say today amongst many people in church should we expect that it would be right to hold a christian to a higher moral standard in the past we would have said yes readily today people sort of wonder And the more our country shifts on the morals of our Christian heritage, the more we need to keep coming back to the Bible because our children aren't getting any residual effects of any Judeo-Christian teaching. What goes on from daycare through primary school to high school is anything but biblical it's quite worldly what people and children are being taught parents don't really teach their children today much of the teaching comes through institutions government ungodly institutions and you and i i'm a bit younger than some of you and some of you are younger than me have grown up with an education that's shifted a lot in moral positions and it's amazing how adamantly young people today are sure they have the right conviction of what is good And if we're not careful, we come and we read snippets of the Bible, then we start filling in all the blanks as to how God must think on other issues. And because we're so sure our way of thinking is right, we think that must be God's way of thinking. And before long, we're shaping God to fit our way of thinking. And then we have people in the church whose understanding of how a Christian should live doesn't quite fit. People push back on the church saying, don't be too narrow about the way of the life of a Christian. It should be broad and wide. So what should it look like to live as a child of God? That's what we've got to be able to answer today. That's what we need to be very clear about. So turn with me if you've got your Bibles there to Ephesians 5. We Remember that chapters 1 to 3 was all about God's wondrous work of salvation. And then chapter 4, we shifted with verse 1 of chapter 4 I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called and then Ephesians 4 to 6 we are now being taught what walking or living in a manner worthy of that calling looks like and our text for this our morning which we're going to look at the verse 7 verses of chapter 5 explicitly tell us what it should look like for us to live as children of God It'll give us the answer to all those things I've just thrown up there at the beginning. So let's look through these verses and then think about some applications of them. But three things as we go through these verses. Verses 1 and 2, what a child of God will do. Then verses 3 and 4, what a child of God will not do. Yes, there are things the Bible is clear. We will not do. And then verses 5 to 7, a warning. So what a child will do, verses 1 and 2, child of God. What a child of God will not do, verses 3 and 4. And then a warning comes in verses 5 to 7. So what a child of God will do, and this is the simple thing to hold on to, a child of God will walk in love. A child of God will walk in love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love again and again we just throw it around that Christian life's about love and we take that for granted and it would do us well to really meditate on what that actually means because it's profound Christian life should all be about love for God and love for our neighbor but if we're to walk in love what is love How will we know what love looks like? Because the world has so many things to say about love. Our world is full of counterfeit love. All that our world calls love is not love. Only that which comes from God is love. Because God himself is love. So if you and I are to walk in love, where do we look? What do we do so as to get love right? We imitate our father as the verse says, be imitators of God. As children of God, we should seek to be like our Heavenly Father and as we imitate Him, copy Him, love will be working out in our lives. What do we call a pursuit of being like God? It's the pursuit of godliness. A child of God will pursue godliness and the fruit of that pursuit will be love we're lazy, if we're not intentional in pursuing godliness, the world will start to define love for us. So a Christian must be persistent and determined to pursue godliness so love is defined by God. The more you are like your father, the more you will walk in love. And so To walk in love as a Christian, we will pursue godliness. And as we walk in love, it'll be overflow and overflow of the love he has for us. Because it says there, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. It's a beautiful thing for a child to grow up in a home where they are loved. And here we are told that we are the children of God. And not just his children, but his beloved children. God loves us as his children. And we remember his love. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 4. It's a eternal love. I'll start at the end of verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In love. Chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Your salvation is an overflow of God's love for you. A love for you that is from the time before the world began. A love for you that was in the heart of God while you still lived in your sin. Well, you're still an enemy of God. God's heart was rich in love for you. How great is his love? God is love. Keep reminding yourself, God is love. Little phrase was doing the rounds a little while ago. Love is love. No, love is not this love. God is love. And we need to look to him. To imitate God is to imitate the one who is perfect in love, who has loved you so abundantly. Some people, when they think about the pursuit of godliness in the church, yawn or get, oh, that's a bit serious. That's what really serious Christians do. We don't have to be like that. Other people think about the pursuit of godliness and think it's quite an abstract, mindless, what's the use of it? Fruitless. Where in fact, we find here the pursuit of godliness results in something that's very concrete and real, thoughtful and fruitful. It's the works of love. How sadly, our world has been deceived because the fruit of the knowledge of God is love. For our world to know love, it needs to pursue a knowledge of God. Just as for you and I to know love, we need to pursue a knowledge of God. If you want to bless the world, pursue godliness and then you will bless the world with love, the love of God. And where do we turn to get the perfect example of God's love? Jesus. Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. They shall call his name Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Elsewhere we read, he is the image of the invisible God in Colossians 1:15. In Philippians 2:6, we're reminded that Jesus is in very nature God. By imitating Jesus, you imitate God. Jesus is the presence, the physical place for us to look and learn about how to be godly. As a young man once said to me, and he preached it actually in one of his first sermons at Newtown Baptist. One of the evidences, and we don't think about this, one of the evidences of Christ's divinity is his perfect love. Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. If we are to walk in love, we need to love our neighbors and to love others as ourselves. Willing to lay down our lives for those around us. To put the needs of those who are sitting by you and behind you before your own. And to even love those who are your enemies, just as Jesus died for you while you were still his enemy. And here we see that Jesus' love for us was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. If we are to walk in love, we too must seek to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. To pursue godliness, not worldliness to be willing to offer our bodies to do whatever God calls us to do and wants us to do. Willing to give of our very self for the glory of God. Willing to leave and lay down our lives in sacrificial service to God. Jesus says to follow him is to take up a cross. That is love for God. To walk in love as Jesus walked in love we will seek God's glory above all things not our own and we will give of ourselves whatever that takes that is what it is to walk in love and much of what God calls us to do is so that to leads to the loving of others so as a christian we will be men and women who pursue godliness so as to walk in love that's a given That's a command. That's your one take home from this morning. Are you pursuing godliness so as to be truly walking in love? Or are you just saying, as a Christian, I need to walk in love? And what that love is just sort of works itself out in you as to what you think is love. You need to go to God, grow in God, and let God shape your life so that you walk truly in love. And keep looking to Jesus as the perfect example because then it leads on to our next verses three and four where it makes clear what a child of god won't do and things that a child of god won't do because to do these things is not to walk in love these things are not loving however much the world might think they are verse three but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So verse 3 first, three things that are incompatible with walking in love. Firstly, sexual immorality. The word there in the Greek is porneia. It's a word that encompasses all that is sexually immoral, all sexual practices that are sinful, sinful. We heard from Leviticus 18 that outlines a whole lot of sexual practices that are sinful. Today, there are many in the church that are going the way of the world by saying we can just put aside what that says, because we know better today. But God is very clear in the Bible as to what sexual purity looks like. And if our sexual standards or morality doesn't match up with God's, it's not love, however much you want to put that label above it, however much you might feel. We need to turn to the bible to learn what is love we don't get to impose our moral standards and placed in the positive the only place god approves of sexual activity is within marriage marriage being the lifelong covenant union of a natural man and a natural woman to each other any sexual activity outside of that is sin fornication sexual activity before marriage is sin adultery sexual activity outside of marriage is sin homosexuality sexual activity between peoples of the same sex is sin what are the terms such as fornication adultery homosexuality have sort of slipped off our vocabulary because if we change language we can change the way people feel about sin Our world wants to define sexual immorality as love. Even some churches want to say that sexual immorality, such as homosexual marriage, is love. But God is love. He defines love. Sexual immorality is not of God, therefore, it is not love. As children of God, secondly, if we're going to walk in love, we can't have anything to do with impurity. We want what is good and holy. Impurity encompasses all practices and activities that, in that sense, would make you unclean. God has set us aside to be holy, not to wallow and roll around in the mud of unholiness. We have set apart to be like him, not to be wrapped up in worldliness. And so we want nothing to do with impure things. Thirdly, as children of God, we aren't to have anything to do with coveting because coveting is not of love. Coveting questions God's love for you. Coveting is not loving for your neighbor. That word there for coveting is the word for greed. It's a desire for more. You're discontent with what you have or with whatever you've got, you still want more. In our affluent Western churches, we can often be quick and much easier to point at sexual immorality, but we can go very soft on greed and coveting because we swim in it all the time. We've been brought up to have such an expectation of wealth and money and standards. A country, a affluent country, sets a standard of living that is so high compared to any other country that if you or I can't have that standard, we feel it's wrong. We have this sense of entitlement. Even though where we are already and even if we didn't have that entitlement, we'd be far richer than others in the world. We must watch that our desire for houses and cars and clothes and hobbies and all our other activities, are they actually idols? Because that's where we end up. We're told that covetousness, this desire for more in verse 5, is idolatry. Child of God walks in love. God is his first love. God is her first love. Those other things do not take the heart first. Our heart are not captive to greed and the need for more. We have our rest in God and we rest in what he provides. We see in verse 4 that there be no... Sorry, at the end of verse 3, must not even be named among you. The NIV words that there mustn't even be a hint of these things. Not even a hint of sexual morality, or impurity or covetousness. This is where we see just how desensitized we've become. How easily and readily we can talk about immoral things and impure things and money and wealth and possessions. There's no sense of feeling uncomfortable about them. There's no sense when we talk about things of sin that we think these are actually things that arouse the wrath of God. We're just indifferent to them. There are things for which Christ had to die on the cross for and so there are things that we shouldn't just toss around in our conversations freely as if they're nothing and our speech no filthiness that's base or obscene language no foolish talk that's godless chatter crude joking that's sexual or coarse joking talk like this is no place on the lips of a child of god yet it surrounds us The days where i played lots of team sports it surrounded you when you're on a building site it surrounds you when you're at school it surrounds you as i walk around the school i'm involved in now i can hear littlies talking like this it surrounds you but such speech should not be on those who are the children of god instead if we have lips that walk in love, we have lips of thankfulness. Which means we declare God's praise as we talk to each other and about the goodness of God and how God's loved us and provided for us and cared for us. So as a church, when we get together, what do we talk about? Are we reminding each other of how good God is to us? When you talk about God, how you are thankful for God in your life that ministers to me. Are we helping us focus on God's goodness? And so these things are important. We're commanded to walk in love. One and two. If we're walking in love, we can't be involved in the things of three and four. So then five to seven, we've got a warning. What do we do when we see, mentioned at the beginning, those who just don't seem bothered about, living a godly life about pursuing godliness whose way of living is really shaped by the world even though they claim to be christians you need to listen very carefully verse five well you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of christ and god let no one deceive you with empty words Well, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Firstly, a warning to those who are living the delusion. If you persist in sexual immorality, if you keep engaging in impure activities, if you don't let go of your idolatrous coveting, those verses just say plainly, you have no reason to believe you're a child of God. If those things have you, in fact, they evidence is that chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians haven't applied to you yet. It says plainly, you can be sure of this if you're being sexually immoral and pure covetous, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, I can feel tempted and we can feel tempted to quickly try and reassure people, but those words are blunt. They're there to unsettle those who need to be unsettled. Don't be reassured when people in the church say, don't don't worry. Keep living those things. It's just about grace, not by works. Sure, it'd be better if you weren't really being sexually immoral, but ultimately it doesn't matter. That's not biblical. That's dangerous. It's false teaching. They are empty words because you're giving people a false hope. The fruit of your life shows if you have new life. Persistent bad fruit shows the tree is dead. If these words convict you, run to the cross, repent. That's what we are called to do. Because without repentance, without the cross of Jesus, those who live in this, we are told, await the wrath of God. It doesn't matter if you're on the bus, so to speak, if you're sitting in the pew. You need to repent. You need Christ and you need to be born again. And so, a warning to those who do the deluding, those who say to people, it's okay to persist in sin, woe to you. You're no different to when Jesus called those the blind leading the blind. Because you're reassuring those who are perishing. You're telling people whose house is burning down, everything's okay. Your theology is false. And you must be careful if your theological system is shutting down a part of scripture where it's nullifying the word of God, there's something wrong with your system. There's nothing, you're not getting the Bible wrong here. Because it's the grace of God that teaches us to actually say no to ungodliness. And so for us as a church then, what do you do when someone persists in sin, be it sexual immorality or lust and impurity and coveting? We've read back in chapter 4, you see in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do we jump to chapter four there and say well just look over that sexual immorality unity is the most important thing the chapter five verse seven what does it say therefore do not be partners with them for at one time you were darkness but now you're in the light so chapter five is making it quite clear unity in the church is never never ignores or hides sin. Unity in the church is the pursuit of a pure, godly unity. Where someone persists in sin, they must not be lulled into thinking everything's okay. Rather, the church shakes them up, saying, we can't partner with you, wake up. That is the way of love. The way of love does not give people a false hope. The way of love puts them in the trajectory that they might start running to the cross. Love deals with it. Love separates that they might come back. And so someone who will not walk in love must not be thought that they are walking in love, if they are not. So a few things to focus on how do we grow in our love walking in love we've seen here and the little phrase came back from Jared's message last week in 420 learn Jesus do you know Jesus more today than you did last time this, this time last year do you know Jesus more today than you did when you finished Sunday school because that's the earnest plea here is are you growing and loving Jesus if i only knew Brian as much today as i knew her after the first year of knowing her something would be wrong those we love we get to know those whom we spend time with and lots of time with we naturally learn them learn jesus read your bible ask jesus to help you become like him because if our knowledge of jesus is lacking our love will be lacking And so i pray and i pray you pray lord help me know jesus help me learn jesus help me see jesus in the word secondly our entertainment and i'll use myself as an example here the bible says to have nothing to do with sexual immorality impurity greed and unwholesome speech the very things that make our magazines our television shows and our movies sell people are almost yawning if there's a movie that has no unwholesome speech no sexual immorality in it it's just a bit ho-hum that pleases the flesh it goes into the movies how desensitized we have become just comfortable to watch things full of sex full of unwholesome speech full of all kinds of impurity and it's as if We're completely unmoved. We sit down in front of the TV or the theater and we just, it's as if it's not there. We just switch off. But though you are unmoved, know that you are not being unaffected. Your heart is being hardened. The reason you're unaffected is because calluses are forming on your heart. The spirit is being grieved. You're shutting down his convictions and you're teaching yourself to do it number of years ago, God really convicted me about what I was watching and I committed, okay, I'm not going to watch any more movies that are MA. Then a little while later, I got uncomfortable with things that were even M movies and I was avoiding movies that just even had the M rating and now even I'm watching some PG things or I'm starting to feel things that I didn't feel before. Our movies today even list what's going to be in them. It says... Crude, crude speech, coarse joking, sexual. It's all there to know. Sort of the thing that actually grips a lot of people, gets them in. We see what we are walking into. We see what is filling the entertainment. We go into the movie expecting these things. Found on the site called IMDB. And it's wonderful because it's got a parental guide, and you can click on there the movie you want to see. And it lists all the things under different headings. And I can't tell you how many movies I have not gone to watch, having watched that, even movies at a PG. Because it doesn't just list the time there are sexual things or foul language. It even lists every time there's blasphemy. And if I see Jesus' name is going to be used as a swear word five times or the word God is going to be used, I'm really convicted. I can't go and watch that movie, knowing that is part of the script. And what has happened is I will watch something on TV now and something will be said and it will jar me. Something will head in an immoral direction and I'll become readily uncomfortable. That didn't happen 10 years ago or 15, however many years ago it was. But that by God's grace was a work that God did in my life to get my heart soft again. Remember when you grew up, you'd hire a video, the VHS and you'd get your mates over to watch the movie and you just hope your parents didn't come inside, even though you thought the movie was okay. You just had that, what if it's dodgy part comes up or if mum and dad are in there, you're just going to feel uncomfortable. You know, your heavenly father is always present and he sees far more than my dad ever saw. the reason and i'm convinced of this why i could have sat down and watched a movie and felt so comfortable because i was not living by faith in that moment i was as if god did not exist god's not present if i knew god was present if jesus was sitting near me that the holy spirit was at work in me i'd be uncomfortable i shut it down that is not living by faith this is not legalism this is love for god Wanting to honor him. And God says here, not even a hint. We shouldn't even allow these things to creep in. I pray God convicts you with what you watch and what you entertains you. And that you never again disbelieve that God is present or that the Holy Spirit is inside you. That you never again actively ignore him. Because it will affect you. It will affect your walk in love. Finally, denial in the church of verses 5 to 7. It's rife. Number of churches have been and sexual immorality has abounded in the church. Often among the young people, but not only among the young people. We've heard we how verse 5 to 7 read, but this is literally how it is taught in practice. For of this you can be sure, though you are sexually immoral or impure or covetous, You do have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Be sure of this. These are not empty words. God's wrath won't come upon you even though you keep living as a son of disobedience. It's okay. You can keep living in darkness. That's effectively how those words of those verses are taught and played out in the life of many churches. But it's impossible to read it like that. We must never allow us to be taught like that or become indifferent to the sexual immorality or the greed or the love of money that might surround us in church because god is plain those who live like that have no inheritance in the kingdom of god dealing with sin in the church is difficult no one wants to do it sexual sin is very difficult it's all very so-called private And so practically, it's as if those verses aren't there or if they've been reworded. We mustn't do that. It's unbiblical. It's not love. And so if you are someone, you know your heart, is there sexual immorality persisting in your life? Is there a love of money? read is there unwholesome talk we're very good at learning how to talk in different settings Have our christian talk we have our talk when we're at home with mom and dad and then we have our talk when we're with our mates ask jesus to show you even pray lord i think my heart has become hard to all this i'm not seeing give me sensitivities to see because I want to walk in love. I want to be like my dad in heaven. I want to honor him. And so the wonderful thing is, as we as a church, if we imitate God, we become a household that is full of love. What a beautiful thing. Every parent wants their child to grow up to be a good man or a good woman. And in God's household, he is growing us up to be men and women of love. As we draw near to him, as we learn him, what a beautiful thing. So let's pray that God would make us beautiful. Beautiful like Jesus, that we'd imitate our father and we'd love one another. And as we do that, that's the fruit that will give you assurance and confidence that God is alive in you, alive in us, and that we have an inheritance. And so should a child of God walk differently in this world? Yes, definitely. Should we have a higher moral standard of a Christian? Yes, definitely. A Christian should be godlike, not worldlike. And so, by God's grace, let's pray that we will imitate God, who has loved us so much, and we'll walk in love as Jesus did. I'll pray. Father, change us. Lord, we have so many blind spots. Lord, even we have so many habits of sin that our hearts have become calloused, our consciences have been seared. Have mercy upon us, Father. May your Spirit break through the hardness. May your Spirit really give us a conscience again. Lord, that we would flee wickedness, we would flee all that is not of love. And Lord, that our taste, our desire, our longing would be for the beauty of godliness and love so father help us to love each other enough to spur each other on in this help us to love you that we can know how to love each other so father that we might live lives worthy of our calling in jesus name amen